Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Ryan Rupka, driver of the number 14 Reynolds Racing Chassis Late Model. You're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on Speedway Digest Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the May 17th edition of Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder, the most hardcore motorsports program on the internet. This episode 138 of the series, and I'd like to apologize for a little bit of a late start this evening, but it's been a busy, hectic day here in Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder headquarters, so hopefully it goes smoothly tonight. I'm your host, Adam Jason Sinclair, and on tonight's program, Michael Lally and myself will be reviewing the NASCAR Camper World Truck Series, talking a bit of IndyCar, and maybe even letting a few fire ants crawl into the discussion. Our first guest this evening is Neil Bakoven. Neil Thomas Bachoven is an award-winning Ph.D. geologist and journalist with 35 years of experience in minerals exploration. Neil works as a geologist for Exxon slash Exxon Mobil in Denver, Midland, Houston, New Orleans, and Albuquerque. Neil was also the South Texas Joint Venture Coordinator, coordinating dozens of joint ventures with companies like EOG for the King Ranch in Texas, as well as areas of Newfield, Headington, Sierra, El Paso, and many others. These joint ventures made ExxonMobil hundreds of millions of dollars. He coordinated teams of geologists, engineers, landmen, and lawyers. Born in Fort Knox, Kentucky, he has lived in Turkey and Germany, and many states from California to Virginia. He attended the College of William & Mary, where he was a member of the state champion swim team and received a Bachelor of Arts. From there, Neil went on to the University of Texas at Austin, where he earned a master's and doctorate degree. He has published articles on topics as, divorce, as diverse as the geology of huge volcanic, volcanic calderas of the Sierra Madre Occidental Mountains of Mexico, to sexual dimorphism in Astarte clams. His current interests center on the interaction between early modern humans and Neanderthals during the Paleolithic age and the amazing related discoveries being made through archaeology and genetics. He lives in Spring, Texas with his wife Denise and their dog Spencer. He has five wonderful children that live in Virginia, Arizona, and Texas. He has a coming book, Moth 2, and the Mammoth People, an Ice Age Story of Love, Life, and Survival, releases on July 15, 2019. We are now pleased to welcome Neil to the program. Hello. Hello. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for coming on. First off, what, in your expert opinion, is the reason why it seems that fuel prices are currently going through the roof? Well, that's a that's a good question. Um, crude oil prices have risen, and that's certainly part of the equation, but it's not the big part. The big part is a function of regulation. Back in 1990, the Clean Air Act was instituted, and the feds mandated reformulated gasoline from April to September. And so all the refineries have to uh, have to refit themselves and their facilities every year, and they have to have separate storage tanks and all the related equipment and different uh, trucks to haul the gas around, um, plus 34 different states, 34 of them, have mandated their own boutique-type gasolines with different uh, blends. And so it's a logistical nightmare, and that's the main driver of the price increases that we see every summer. Now, with gas prices approaching the five-year high, what's your advice to stretch your fuel budget? Yeah, well, I have, a, I have several. Probably the easiest and simplest is just keep your tires 
fully inflated. The average American car is driving around on tires that are over seven pounds underinflated. And all that driving around on squishy tires is, uh, is costing us about 3% of our, of our gasoline. Uh, so that's not a big number, but it's so easy. Um, we can get bigger savings from uh, doing a, a simple tune-up on your car. A, a seriously out-of-tune car can be running you an extra 40% of your gasoline. And the, the key things to look at there when you're getting the car tuned up is, is follow your owner's manual uh, about when to switch out your fuel filter, your oxygen sensor, and your spark plugs. Those are the big hitters uh, related to fuel economy. With all your experience at ExxonMobil, how do you feel about, Rex, about how Rex Tillerson was treated by the Trump administration? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I worked with Rex uh, before he became CEO of Exxon. Uh, mobile, and I uh, I was on a long task force with him up in Dallas, and I found him to be just a real gentleman, um, very smart guy, uh, well spoken. I thought he made a great Secretary of State. You know, now that he's a private citizen, I, I'm personally hoping to get him to read and comment on my book, Mach Two and the Mammoth People. Uh, I've gotten a bunch of other Exxon folks to to look at it, and, and I've gotten really good reviews from them. And uh, it's uh, although it's fiction, it's based on just a huge amount of research that I did uh, related to why Neanderthals died out so quickly after we arrived on the scene in Europe 45,000 years ago. And uh, the book is fiction. It's got a couple of beautiful love stories in it, lots of fighting and and hunting and and action, but uh, it's uh, it's based on fact. You know, uh, we know that all this stuff actually happened because uh, everybody who has any European or Asian heritage has Neanderthal in their genetics. I myself am over three percent Neanderthal, so uh, we know it happened, and we know we fought with them, and we know we interbred with them, and this is just a cool story about that. So. Um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> of all the cars currently on the market, which one would you recommend that balances economy and functionality the best? Yeah, that's that's going to depend on pretty much your stage of life and uh, and what you need individually in functionality. You know, whether you want a luxury sedan or a minivan or a truck or a SUV, um, I I can tell you that. The first car I ever owned is not the the right car. It was a, a 351 Mach 1 Mustang. And uh, mm -hmm. the guy who sold it to me, he said, man, this thing is fast. It'll run past anything but a gas station. And uh, and he was right, man. I, I spent a lot of time at a gas station. And so that's obviously not the car to have when we're talking about fuel economy. But uh, But as far as what car I like, you know, for my own functionality, I love – my Ford Explorer. And, uh, you know, it's a bigger car, but I, I need that in my life right now. And it's uh, relatively economic uh, for its size. And I just uh, can't say enough good about it. So uh, everybody's going to need their own, is going to have their own set of uh, priorities and, and what they need. So everybody's going to make a different choice. There you go. And finally, for me at least, I have to ask what are the benefits of fire ant colonies to human civilization? 
Yeah, you know, uh, I'll just give you a little background first. Um, my daughter uh, did her Ph.D. at the University of Texas A&M uh, in entomology, study of bugs, and uh, she, she did it specifically on fire ants, and so that's how I picked this stuff up around the edge, and I've studied up on them since, and I'm, I've been fascinated by them. And, uh, you know, the benefits don't stack up with the hurt they cause by any means. They, uh, they over 14 million people are stung every year, and that number grows because they're now in 40 states. You know, back uh, in the 30s, in the 1930s, we didn't have any of them. And then they landed in Mobile, Alabama, and they've been spreading ever since. But, and they've killed 80 people since then. Mm -hmm. So uh, largely by anaphylactic shock kind of thing. So um, they cause billions of dollars of damage, but, and, and they're decimating the uh, environment by killing off just huge numbers of, of land, of, of ground-dwelling animals. But um, that being said, there are a couple of silver linings to this huge black cloud and, and that is they, they, they've killed off some bad things, too, like Lyme disease-carrying ticks and termites. They, they, they love to eat termites, and they also uh, kill boll weevils, so cotton farmers seem to like them a lot. Hmm. Well, let me go ahead and throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally. There's a couple of questions for you as well. So what inspired your upcoming book? Yeah, um, I never intended to write the book. I, was, I just love doing research, and I've always been fascinated as to why Neanderthals, who lived in Europe for 300,000 years, think of that, 300,000 years, and then we arrive on the scene, and depending on what researcher you talk to, they were gone in either 1,000 years and certainly no more than 5,000 years, out of all of Europe. And, and so... Uh, they were there for 300,000, and they were gone in, a, in an eye blink. And I've always been fascinated by that. I was just doing lots of research on it. And after doing a, over a year of research, I thought, you know, there's a cool story in here. And so uh, I got busy on that, and, and uh, about three months later, my wife said, what are you working on over there so hard? I said, you know, I'm not going to tell you till I get a little farther on this, but I, it was just a really exciting time uh, I would wake up in the middle of the night and write a half a page of notes from a dream I had <laughs> so it was uh, it, it was the creativity that I loved about it and uh, it's it's really a cool book I think everybody's going to like it it's uh, it's based on fact it is fiction but it's based on fact and uh, everything in it could have happened so um, I'll, I'll just leave it at that and how did you acquire so much knowledge about, you know, gas prices and, you know, just the economy? Like, where did that come from? Uh, again, I, I'm a research kind of guy. I love doing research. But um, as far as uh, as uh, fuel economy, I, I looked for oil and gas for 34 years, mostly working for ExxonMobil, and, uh, and now I'm retired. And so I have to watch my money a lot closer. And so I'm a cost-conscious cons consumer like everybody else. And uh, I just have studied up on that a lot. Um, so in your expert opinion, are there any signs of gas prices, bright prices going down in the near future? 
Uh, you know, I think, unfortunately, I think they're going to go up in the near future. Uh, the good news is uh, all this this horizontal drilling and fracking that's going on in West Texas and North Dakota and so forth is uh, is a buffer to that because every time oil prices go up, the amount of drilling goes up and people and we find just a huge amount. All of a sudden, you have this big punch to to how much oil and gas we're producing, and uh, and then. That drives oil prices down, and then we drop, and, and all the oil companies drop oil rigs and, and quit drilling so much, and then that drives prices back up a little bit. So I think there's a buffer in there, and I think that uh, I think though that right now the Saudis want oil prices to be higher uh, because they're going to sell part of their their oil, uh, all their oil fields. It's of course the biggest in the world. They're going to sell some of that this next year in a in a big IPO offering, and so they they don't want to do that with oil prices low. So they're going to sell they're going to keep gas prices high for at least the next six months to a year, and then after that, I think we can hold out hope for oil prices going down. You'll have well, to forgive my voice a little bit. I was at the Rockets game last night, and I yelled and yelled and yelled and yelled with my son. And it worked because we won. So, uh, <laughs> um, so my final question. I have read a few articles on the Internet, of course, so who knows if it's true or not. Um, it seems that the government, in one way or another, is trying to get older cars off of the street and, like, out of, like, used car lots and stuff, so people have to buy new. What is your opinion on this, I mean, if that is the case? Oh, I think that's absolutely the case. I think that um, they want to do that because they want uh, the newer cars coming out, for the most part, um, have better uh, fuel economy than the older cars. And so that's an easy way to... uh, to get our uh, country using on on a per person basis a little bit less gasoline, and so I think actually that is that is probably factual, but uh, you know I, I I still wish I had my old Mach One Mustang. It was a wonderful car, yellow and black with it was just a slick car. I miss that car, but uh, it, it would be running me a fortune right now to to buy gas for it. And if our listeners are interested in, in getting more information about you or your books, where would the, be the best place for them to go? Well, thanks for asking. Um, yeah, it's, the book's going to be put out by Waldorf Publishing, and they can go to um, that's on the uh, they can go to the Waldorf website, Waldorf um, Publishing, and uh, they can order the book um, anytime. They can pre-order the book anytime after July 15 of this year. It's not going to be officially uh, published until July 15 of next year, but um, they can pre-order it early. And um, also, you're going to be able to get it in uh, paperback. You'll be able to get it in an ebook, and you'll be able to get it an audio book, which uh, is actually my, one of my favorite ways to to read nowadays is on the road. So, uh, and then uh, also. Uh, after July 15 of this year, you're going to be able to pre-order it in any of your 
favorite online retailers, you know, the, the Amazons and so forth. And um, certainly um, by mid-next year, you're going to be able to get it at any of your local bookstores too. So a variety of different places. I think you guys are going to like awesome. it. Check it out. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, and, and we'll be looking forward to seeing your book on bookshelves next year. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Have a nice evening. You too. Bye-bye. Once again, that was Neil Bachoven, whose upcoming book, Maktu and the Mammoth People, will be released on July 15th of next year. Delivering his fifth top 28th finish of the season this past weekend at Kansas Speedway, NASCAR Kemper World Truck Series rookie Justin Fontaine is ready for business on home turf in Friday's North Carolina Education Lottery 200 at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. The Asheville, North Carolina native has never been to the unique 1.5-mile super speedway located just miles from the Queen City, but the freshman driver is eager to get to the track and contend for his third top 10 of the year with his niece, Motorsports team. Heck yeah, I'm ready for Charlotte, said Fontaine. We had an okay finish at Kansas. Of course, we always want a little more, but we have some good notes from Kansas so we can apply to Charlotte and come off the truck strong. Visiting a new track for the fourth time this season, Fontaine says it's important to him to get up to speed as quickly as possible to his Daryl, so his Daryl Moreau-led team can shift his concentration towards race setup. I embrace each new track I have the opportunity to compete at, Ed Fontaine. Las Vegas brought our team's second top 10 finish at a place I've never been to before. That was exciting. Charlotte's going to be a tough race, though. It's not a traditional mile-and-a-half track, but it has some great characteristics. We'll have to do a lot of the same at Charlotte that we did at Kansas last weekend. We practiced in the day, qualified in late afternoon, and raced at night. The biggest obstacle we'll face is making sure our number 45 Promatic Automation Chevrolet is just as strong at night as we can expect it to be during the day. It's a challenge but one we plan to conquer. I've also done some studying of the race from last year, and it seems there was a ton of drafting. We had truck at the drafted pretty well at Las Vegas, too. Hopefully we can play our cards right, and when the checkered flag waves, we'll have another top ten finish to talk about. After six races, Fontaine sits 13th in the series standing and carries an average finish of 17 points, 17 points entering Charlotte. In addition to a full-time NASCAR driver, Fontaine is also a freshman student at the University of Northern of North Carolina, Charlotte, where he is pursuing a business degree. For more info on Justin Fontaine, please visit justinfontaine.com. That's J-U-S-T-A-N-F-O-N-T-A-I-N-E.com. Like his Facebook page or follow him on Twitter, on Twitter at Driver Fontaine. We wish this two-time guest luck tomorrow and are monitoring his career in great earnest. After a delayed flight from Albany, New York, meant he would miss connecting flight in Detroit, Michigan to Kansas, Stuart Friesen, I think, did what any dedicated driver would do, rented a car and drove overnight to Kansas Speedway for the 37 days of kind 250. As a well-traveled Friesen arrived at Kansas ready to perform seemingly unfazed by his journey. Friesen piloted the number 52 Chevy to fifth fastest in practice in an eighth-place starting position. 
Stewart was one of six race leaders riding out in front for a total of six laps. Without a stage win, last Friday's run netted Friesen 41 championship points, placing him in the seventh place overall in standings. Taking the lead with 67 laps remaining, Friesen was thrown a curveball when a shift knob broke off. The incident led to Friesen dropping five spots. Fortunately, he was able to charge back up to second place, battling out with Kyle Busch. Drama came late in the race when Friesen and Bush came together in the final lap. The incident ended with Friesen spinning Bush down the apron and onto the infield grass. Bush was able to recover and ultimately overtake Friesen for second place. In a post-race interview, Friesen apologized to Bush, who was hesitant to immediately accept the apology. When the opportunity came for a face-to-face, Friesen expressed his apologies to the veteran Monster Energy Cup driver, to which Bush replied, yeah, I hear you. This is the second time this season that Bush has participated in an, in an NCWTS wait, okay, race and gone head-to-head with Friesen. Friesen finished third overall behind Noah Gregson in first and Kyle Busch in second. This is Friesen's first podium finish of the season and second best of his NASCAR Camping World Truck Series career, his first being at Eldora in 2017, where he placed second. In a post-race interview, Friesen was asked if he felt it was only a matter of time before he picked up a win in the NASCAR Camp Road Truck Series, to which he replied, wins are tough no matter what division you're racing in, and they're hard to come by. You can be the best of the best and be great all night, and then you know something will just not go your way. Stuart Friesen is scheduled to call in in roughly five minutes. So let's go ahead and take a listen to one of the selections from Ron Pastana and the pit crew. Let's see a good one. Let's go with dirt track racing since Friesen got his teeth cut in the dirt track world and still competes there to this day. Yeah. 
Hi, this is Kristen Kenny from Red Bull Global Rallycross, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Once again, we're standing by for Stuart Friesen to call into the program. He should be calling in any second now, and I'm going to give him a few minutes, and if he doesn't call in shortly, I do have a number to reach him at, so we can always try it that way. It's going to be an incredibly busy weekend in racing. Hopefully the weather holds out for our limit. Uh, tomorrow night is the race there in Charlotte, the truck race. Um, the following night, there is a the race in Charlotte again. This will be the all-star race for the NASCAR Monster Energy, was it Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series is what they're calling it now. Um, I know that Monster Energy did sign an additional year onto their their sponsorship deal, so that will be called the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series once again next year. And in the future, it's hard to know because, as we reported on last week, there's been numerous reports in the media that the NASCAR series is up for sale. So we're uh, constantly looking for more information about that. There hasn't been much in the news since the initial report from Reuters, which were picked up by pretty much everybody else. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. There's only a few people who would uh, be able to to get the – the rights to NASCAR with the amount of money they're asking for it. Um, so definitely not me. I don't quite. I don't have ten billion dollars sitting around in a bank account somewhere. If I did, I probably wouldn't be talking to you this evening. But you never know. Um, so it could be the Liberty Media Group, which purchased the Formula One last what, like two years ago now. There's also rumors that it could turn into a, a championship auto racing teams type thing where the owners of the race teams themselves come in and, and buy up NASCAR. But for right now, it's still the uh, Lisa France Caddy and and her, her brother Jim France, who are basically the, the majority stockholders in NASCAR, with Brian France stepping away from the, the ownership thing recently. And now he's just the CEO of NASCAR. We're now pleased to welcome Stuart Friesen to the program. Hey guys, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing tonight? Good, good. First off, congratulations on leading Kansas a few times last weekend. How will you parlay your relative success in Kansas to the race in Charlotte tomorrow night? Well, um, you know, the the biggest thing is that they're they're both mile and a half tracks and um, you know, we had a we had a fast Chevy Silverado at Kansas last week, so uh, the boys took that back to the shop and turned it around, and that's what we have for uh, tomorrow in Charlotte. So looking forward to that, and you know, hopefully we can, um, you know, build off build off our run last week into uh, into tomorrow night. I know there was been some some tension between you and Kyle Busch, but Kyle Busch seems to have tension with a lot of people on the racetrack. But uh, what is the deal between you and Kyle Busch right now? Uh, I don't really think there is a deal. You know, we just. Um, we were racing hard there towards the end of the race, uh, you know, after we pitted. And, um, and and as things were cycling out, you know, it was just kind of kind of racing for the win. So just trying to play a little defense and uh, got together a little bit. But, um, you know, I don't expect that to be a big big deal moving forward. We understand that sometimes you run on dirt and asphalt tracks on the same day. How are you able to balance that? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I haven't done that too much uh before in the past but um you know running the truck stuff now and uh we've ran a ran a bunch of or actually not a bunch but a little bit of super late model stuff um you know at nashville and we're doing that again at, at bristol on sunday in the, the short track nationals race um with the, with the dirt stuff that I, was, that I was kind of born and raised on so uh just got you know kind of different skill set 
but it's uh, it's a lot of fun, and you know, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't choose to do anything else. You mentioned you're riding your uh, super late model. Can you tell us a little bit more about your new super late model car, the famous number one twelve that bears the likeness of Gary Blue's Batmobile on it? Yeah, it's uh, it's prepared by uh, Justin Ortel at the CJ Motorsports table. Um, you know, my, my partner Chris Larson and uh, the Helmar folks got on board and you know put that deal together with with Gary. You know, Gary kind of spearheaded the whole effort. You know, pairing Helmar up with with, uh, with Justin and his team and. Um, it's, it's a great race car. So we put it all together and went and tested Nashville and, you know, had a great run there, uh, you know, with a second place. So got the car all turned around and, uh, we'll bring it to, uh, Bristol for, uh, for the big race on Sunday. So looking forward to that. It should be pretty cool. I know recently Kyle Larson made clear that if he could, he'd race world of outlaws full time and quit the cup series as a guy who's raced in NASCAR, as well as in the world of outlaws, which one do you enjoy more? Oh boy, um, I, I enjoy all of it. Uh, you know, getting to travel around and see all these, uh, you know, the NASCAR tracks and stuff, and, and racing the Truck Series now was was a dream when I was in my twenties, and then you know it kind of kind of went by the wayside to uh, concentrate on the dirt career, and you know it kind of resurrected itself a couple of years ago with with the help from uh, you know Chris Larson and the the folks at Hellmeyer International and Chevrolet and stuff. So uh, I, I I take it as it is, and uh, you know enjoy it day to day and. Uh, you know, my favorite uh, favorite race car is going to be uh, the Chevy truck tomorrow night and, uh, you know, the weight ball after that. And then we'll get back in the uh, dirt car, uh, you know, next week through through Memorial Day. We'll run that three or four times. So um, I, I enjoy, you know, variety is a spice of life, and, and, and I enjoy all of it. Now that your wife Jessica is back racing a dirt modified, what's it like to have racing as a family affair for the Friesens? It's, it's cool. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's intense. Um, you know, we, we have a great race team. Uh, we have our best friends, you know, uh, Tommy Conroy and Eric Mack, Lauren Ward has it, you know, I've raced with them on the dirt, on the dirt stuff for shoot, probably five, six, seven, eight years now. And, uh, you know, the cars are the same shop and, and we work on them together and, uh, it, it's just a lot of fun. You know, Jess ran a lot of 360 and 410 sprint car stuff, you know, throughout her career. And, you know, we slowed down a couple of years ago and, and, and had a baby and, you know, started the family and do all that stuff. So, um, you know, over the winter we talked and she was kind of getting itchy to get back into a race car. And, uh, we had this modified car, so we put that together for her and, uh, she's been able to race, you know, a couple of times already this year. And, you know, it's a lot closer to home. It's, it's not the traveling that we get, you know, in New York state trying to chase sprint car races. So it's been a lot of fun. Well, I'd like to throw you out to my uh, co-host, Michael Lally has a few questions for you as well. Sounds good. Thank you. So my first question, and feel free to tell me to shut up. Um, who's the better driver, you or your wife? Wow, that, that is a good question. That's a tough one. Uh, yeah, she's listening in right now, and, and she's sitting right next to me here. So um, I'm going <laughs> to say she is, and, and she's she's definitely an intense competitor. Um, you know, and we just we just have a lot of fun doing it together. Have you and your wife ever raced each other? We have. We, we we had a couple races uh, so far this year. Um, you know, actually, I've got that kind of got the better end of that. And uh, we had a sprint car race uh, a couple of years ago, a big race, the Cole Cup in New York, uh, that we ran first and second in. So uh, that was that was probably the, the you know the coolest day that we've had racing together. So my mom constantly tells me that she thinks motorsports is kind of a fading sport. 
what do you think motorsports as a whole, like just in general, could do better to bring more fans into the stands? Well, it's 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 a sport that's on the change. Um, you know, our you know the motorsports roots are you know rooted in the in the 1950s and 60s with you know guys building cars in their garages and and, and junkyards and stuff like that where, where parts were readily available and it's changed to a uh, you know to, to pur- purpose built you know factory built race cars. So so the 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 technical side of the sport has just evolved so much. So it's it's so big, um, and, and the costs associated with that have have been driven up. So it's tough, you know, the, the casual fan doesn't see so much of uh, what goes behind the scenes, especially on the NASCAR end of it, when you only get so much telecast and there's so only so much you can watch. You know, there's, you know, 150 people behind, you know, each one of these cars and, and the weeks and months of preparation is, uh, you know, is, is one in its own. So, um, you know, I think, you know, youngsters nowadays and, and, and younger people are more, you know, in the in the right now and living the right now with, with, with social media and your phone and everything that's going on, you know you're you're getting that instant satisfaction right now. So it's a little bit different. Motorsports is uh, you know you got to watch a 300 lap race sometimes to to, to get that out of it. It's, it's kind of like watching a longer baseball game or something. So it's definitely on the change. Um, I'm just happy to be a part of it and uh, and, and I look forward to uh, to after it's all said and done here in the next five ten years to uh, where we're at because. You know, I think uh, the evolution will kind of happen, and it'll be it'll be better than what it is now. And my final question for you this evening: If um, given the chance, do you think you and your wife would maybe own your own racetrack one day? Oh, I, absolutely not! <laughs> not at all. Uh, I grew up uh, with a family that uh, owned and promoted a couple of speedways. Uh, so when I was a, when I was a kid, ten to you know fifteen years old, uh, I got to do all the all the parts of the speedway that you don't want to see: cleaning the bathrooms, cleaning up under the grandstands, painting walls, and, and uh, mowing the grass and that kind of stuff. And um, I, I enjoy being on the participant end of it. Uh, you know, Chris Larson from Helmar has recently taken on this venture. Uh, you know, to uh, to promote Orange County Speedway, Middletown, New York, which is just uh, which a huge undertaking. Uh, you know the place needs a lot of remodeling and stuff, and and uh, he's he's all gung ho for it. But uh, you know, I said in, in a couple of years, you can't tell come and tell me this is a bad idea. But there, there's a lot of fun, you know. There's a lot of gratification that comes out of it. But um, no, it's uh, you know, I'd rather stay on the on the competitor uh, side of it than the uh, than the promotional side. But we'd like to thank you very much for coming on the show this evening, and wish you lots of luck tomorrow night and with the rest of the the year in the uh, in the truck series as well and look forward to seeing you in the future all right great thanks so much guys thanks for having me on thank you very much have a great evening yep. yes you too once again that was Stuart Friesen who will be competing tomorrow night in the North Carolina Education Lottery 200 which is 134 laps and 201 miles it's the 6th of 23 Camping World Truck Series races on the 2018 schedule Practice begins tomorrow morning at 9.05 a.m., continuing to 9.55 a.m. A final practice session is set for 10.35 a.m. to 11.25 a.m. Qualifying is set for later in the day, beginning at 4.40 p.m. So it's all basically just a one-day deal there. The 32-truck field will take the green flag shortly after 8.30 p.m. with live coverage on Fox Sports 1, the Motor Racing Network, which is a radio, 
all their affiliates, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio, which is Satellite Radio Channel 90. All times are Eastern, so it should be a good race tomorrow night. Are you a race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track owner? Maybe you're just a huge fan of the sport. Maybe you've written a book about it. You never know. Contact either Michael Molly or myself to get your spot on the show. After all, you deserve your 15 minutes of fame, and we'd love to hear from you. Did you know that of the 30 NASCAR Sprint All-Star races run to date, 29 have taken place at Charlotte Motor Speedway? The lone exception was in 1986 when the race was run on Mother's Day at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Bill Elliott won, but the event flopped horribly. Did you know that as a team, Joe Gibbs Racing has won 116 Sprint Cup points races and three series championships, but JGR has never won the NASCAR All-Star race. Did you know that over the past 10 years, the NASCAR Sprint All-Star race, Kyle Busch has led 212 laps, yet he is still looking for his first event victory? Jimmy Johnson has led 172 laps, 40 fewer than Busch, but has four race victories. Did you know the driver Wade Cunningham has the most wins in the Freedom 100? And as a team, Sam Smith Motorsports has the most wins overall. Did you know the Freedom 100 is the second race annually at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the other being the Grand Prix on the combined road course? Did you know that for the first two years, the Freedom 100 was held during the second weekend of Indianapolis 500 time trials, scheduled for Saturday, which was at the time used only for Indy 500 practice. The date proved to be unpopular and drew small crowds. In 2005, Carb Day, the traditional final day of practice for the Indy 500, was moved from Thursday before the Indy 500 to Friday. Series officials moved the Freedom 100 to Carb Day, immediately following the final Indy 500 practice session. The move proved popular with fans and competitors. We're currently trying to get a few different drivers of the competing in, in the Freedom 100 to be on the show probably either next week or, or maybe in a couple of weeks. It depends on their schedule. I know the, uh, the month of May there in Indianapolis is rather busy, but we are hoping that Pato Award agrees to come on the show again. He's having a great year. And every time he gets in an Indy Lights car, and he'll be in an Indy car, probably a little bit of Indy car practice, he does really, really well. So we're hoping to hoping to talk to him then. Um, I know that he he ran on the pole for the Indy Lights race last weekend. He didn't end up finishing there. He finished in, I believe it was, I believe it was like fourth position. So, but he did have a a great race, and his career is really warming up quite a bit there. So. It's also going to be a busy weekend in not only Indianapolis, but in Charlotte. And there's even a, uh, an NHRA event this weekend. And we're going to have a little bit more about that listed on, on uh, speedwaydigest.com. Probably tomorrow I might put out one of their, their early releases about that. So be sure to check out past episodes of Thursday Night Thunder, as well as the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network at speedwaydigestradionetwork.com. You can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar. I also found a way that you can look it up in in the uh, iTunes, and I published that a little bit on the Facebook page. But be sure to go to iTunes and search for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder. You can also search for the Speedway Digest Radio Network because they have 300 episodes of the, the shows that we produced for the Speedway Digest Radio Network, all the different shows. So you can check those out there. I also invite you to read the articles covering all aspects of motorsports at speedwaydigest.com. 
the past few days, I put out a dozen different articles in the uh, at SpeedwayDigest.com, both in the racing news section as well as in the Monster Energy section, so be sure to check those out. In addition, if you're a fan of South Florida and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at Palm Beach Happening, which we found by visiting palmbeach.happeningmag.com. We did a great article the other day, yesterday in fact, about the uh, Daytona Lagoon, which we were able to visit on the 5th of May. That was pretty awesome. Uh, we, uh, we love to do our Water Park Wednesday reviews, and we hope that you enjoy reading them. Uh, we do reviews about all the water parks in our area. Plus, we travel a little bit. Again, the uh, the Daytona one was one of our traveler reviews. We're also going to do a review of a review of Blizzard Beach, which is in the Orlando area. It's one of the Disney water parks. We'll be doing that probably about a month from now, so be sure to look for that. We also have a bunch of different uh, spotlights on authors recently in, as part of our Storytime for Grown-Up series. That is, in part, how we got the uh, the first guests for this evening on the program. And we're doing a different one of those each day, at least for the next week or so. They'll be each day. Uh, we might skip like uh, Saturday or Sunday, depending on our schedule. But we are going to have at least one for weekdays, Monday through Friday. So be sure to check that out. And that is the Storytime for Grownups Authors Spotlight. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to seeing you again next week in the Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in the world of modern auto racing. Have a great week, and we'll look forward to seeing you again later.